Um, level two is the danger zone. Mm-hmm. That's the one where you need to make sure the driver is awake, looking at the road and is engaged in the driving task. For level three, you just need to ensure that their butt's on the seat and that they're awake, which uh, a camera, a pretty simple camera system with a classifier will be able to do. Level four, you don't even need a driver there. There should be a sort of fallback uh, sort of safety mode for the vehicle to sort of disengage and stop. One would hope, doctor. By definition, that's what a level four system is. Otherwise, it's not a level four system. Hello and welcome to the Atonicast. My name is Kirsten Korosek, Transportation Editor over at TechCrunch. And I'm Ed Niedermeyer. I am the Communications Director at Partners for Automated Vehicle Education and the author of Ludicrous, the Unvarnished Story of Tesla Motors. And boy, is he. And I'm Alex Roy, the Director of Special Operations for Argo AI, whom I do not represent in this show. And I'm also the happy owner of a Tesla Model 3 and the founder of the Human Driving Association, and I'm thrilled to welcome today a guest whom I did not know of prior to a week or two ago, and yet I feel like I know him my entire adult professional life. His name is Mahmoud Hikmet. He is, the, he is a, uh, a very interesting man. He's the creator of a video many of you have seen, and if you haven't, you will have seen it within 24 hours listening to this episode. Welcome, Mahmoud. Thank you so much, Alex. I'm really happy to be here. Mahmoud, just before we get into the video that has made you famous, um, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do and the company that you work for? Sure. Uh, well, my name is Mahmoud Hikmet. Um, I guess technically Dr. Mahmoud Hikmet, but I don't like to wave that in people's faces too much. Well, now um, you're the doctor. Go on. <laughs> um, I'm the head of research and development at a company called Omeo Automotion. Uh, we are a level four autonomous shuttle manufacturer focused on making low speed autonomous shuttles for first and last mile. These are just really simple. Um, they work on predefined routes and the route that they service is a subset of the routes that you map. So it's a Basically, it's an autonomous tram running on virtual tracks. Uh, that's yeah, and I live in New Zealand, and that's pretty much me. And where where are you operating, um, or where where is where are these shuttles operating? So we've had we've got one shuttle over in Christchurch Airport in New Zealand, which is also the largest three D printed vehicle full stop in the world, which we're pretty happy with. But we've also got three vehicles now over in Korea where we are going through their new regulatory process for the to allow the certification of autonomous shuttles in the last couple of months um, I'm very happy to to announce that we've been uh, given our driver's license and we've got a number plate so our vehicle can drive legally on Korean roads using the new testing regime which is pretty cool for a New Zealand company to be exporting tech to korea it's sort of like us buying korean cheese is the <laughs> is the way that i look at the trading of goods but uh yeah we're really proud of that so is is your use case then uh describe what the perfect application for it is is it like college campuses you you mentioned um the christchurch airport but give me a few scenarios where it it is really meant to operate 
So the the best place that they work is in first, last, and only mile uh, situations, which are basically uh, if you're at home and you want to get to the city, for example, and you want to do a and you want to get there using a train, uh, the first mile of your journey is how you get from your home to the train station, and the last mile is how do you get from the destination train station to your actual destination. Uh, bridging that first and last mile gap is one of the biggest barriers to the higher adoption of public transportation. And we've seen ways of solving these through things like micromobility, looking at livable cities, walking, cycling, e-scooters, park and rides would also be a first and last mile solution. No one likes those. Uh, So an autonomous shuttle is, a low-speed autonomous shuttle is just another choice that people can have. And it would be able to dynamically pick people up, do these sort of uh, feeder routes around a local suburb or a city and take people to the sort of mainline transportation, say like bus routes focused on high capacity transportation or train stations or ferry terminals, something like that. We'd also work in a place like a... um, in like a closed campus, like an airport or a hospital or a retirement village, anywhere where sort of order of magnitude, you're looking at a mile for the transportation system, you'd be able to set these up as sort of like a, its own sort of metro, but on a much smaller scale. Yeah. So, so, I mean, how, how do, because, because, you know, I, I didn't learn about you from your work with this company, which sounds really fascinating. And, and um, a, a lot of, of really you know, interesting aspects to to that, but but I, you know, I came to know you from this video that you made on on YouTube. Is is that part of the R and D job? Like, how, how did how did how did that start? Um, okay, so it's the YouTube stuff isn't part of my job. So, like, what I speak uh, on my YouTube channel or when I'm here, uh, very much like uh, Alex. It's not the views of my employer; it's only my own personal views. Uh, but I was. So in the year like 2019, 2020, uh, my profile as a as a speaker was building. So I was speaking at more conferences. I was getting more speaking slots. But I was also a little bit, I was getting a little bit frustrated that the largest audience that I'd see is sort of 50, 100, 200 people um, in these really, in these conferences. So, and I was working quite hard on these presentations and they were good. Like I was, I was doing a good job and I was on panels and all of that stuff, but it was, it just seemed like a lot of work without as much impact as I think the work could get. So I started looking at the internet a little bit more, um, YouTube, Twitch streaming as well, looking at ways I could impact and find more people with the work that I, with the work that I'm doing. So it's sort of an extension um, and me trying to find a larger audience uh, for the things that I'm working about, the things that I'm working on and the things that I'm saying. So the, the video is called, is title is, um, is Elon Musk killing people? Is that correct? Yes. Um, okay. Not my favorite. So, <laughs> well, that's a little, that was slightly audacious, but I should say fair enough because he called people like myself, journalists, murderers for daring to criticize um, or not even criticize, like just literally report what had happened with autopilot. So, um, you know, I guess it's fair. I would argue that this is the single most important and accurate and fair video ever made about Tesla 
autopilot and the driver monitoring system problem. And Atonicast, Kirsten, Ed, myself, Liza Dixon, and others have all written and spoken around these issues, and we have spoken about sub-pieces of it. But no one, I've never seen anyone glue it together to a single piece of content yeah, which was so digestible. It is a little long, but I'm not sure what could be cut if someone wanted to start from ground zero and get to the end, the punchline. Could you walk us through the core arguments that you make? Yes, I'll try. I'll try, and I'll try keep at less than 50, 53 minutes. Um, so I was like, uh, maybe I'll tell you like where it came from, like what I was, where I was, like why I started it, like why I made it. I was, I've been making YouTube content where I go over things that are sort of autonomous vehicle basics. Here's how an autonomous vehicle works. This is what happens in the trolley problem when there's a baby and a grandma in the way and the vehicle needs to decide who to run over. Uh, Absolutely bunk, by the way, but like I explore that and take it to its engineering conclusion. Uh, So I came across this term autonomous washing maybe about four months ago. And I thought, hey, this will be really good for like a 10 minute video. Uh, so let me start doing some research, start scripting this video, and I'll pump it out in one or two weeks and it'll be done. Uh, and hey, uh, Tesla does a bit of autonomous washing as part of their things. Let me grab that and put that as the example at the end of this video. But sort of like a scab that you can't stop picking, that sort of getting information over what's happening and then contextualizing things one after the other ended up ballooning into the sort of three month endeavor where I was sort of going into, okay, what are they doing? Um, or they're doing autonomous washing. Why are they autonomous washing? Uh, well, these are the, like it just one why after why ended up becoming this giant monster that I then needed to sanitize down into uh, one sort of little piece. And I wanted it to be, a narrative like it was that was something really really important to me i feel like as someone from a technical background i'm uh, from engineering so much of the time we spend just looking at facts statistics and and sort of these hard sort of critical thinking approaches to things but that's not really how most people think that's a very sort of small section of society but engineers sort of project that onto everyone else. And they say, if only I just have the right statistics that I can show people, if only I could tell them this one fact, then I'm going to change their mind. But the truth is, that's really not how you change people's minds. You do it through narrative and storytelling and emotions. And I had to take people on an emotional journey while exploring all the facts of uh, Tesla and their driver monitoring systems and autopilot and all the decisions and consequences, why those happens, and then what it ultimately means. So to come back to your question, the very core of it is um, there's there's autonomous washing that happens by Tesla uh, where they overstate what their um what their systems are capable of doing that leads people to uh potentially misuse or abuse the systems and tesla also at the same time refused to put in any effective form of driving driving monitoring systems which means that you don't really have a check on the misuse that ends up happening whether it's intentional or whether it's sort of passive and it's someone just getting complacent over time 
And then I also explore why Tesla doesn't didn't end up putting in a DMS um, and then taking that to its emotional conclusion. So the, well, do you own a Tesla? No, (laughs) they're very expensive in New Zealand. Have have you driven a Tesla? I've, I've been driven in a Tesla, but I've never driven a Tesla. So you've never, and I've been impressed. I, I like them. I really like Teslas. Have you driven any car with uh, lane keeping assistance? And uh, and a camera driver monitoring system. I've never done any of those things. All right, so I'm going to play devil's advocate, even though I agree with everything you said in the video. Let me play devil's advocate and take the Tesla fan point of view as a Tesla owner, okay? Elon Musk's argument against driver monitoring systems uh, back, I think, in 2018, when several people, including myself, wrote columns saying, why don't we have a DMS in that car? Cadillac's got one, you don't have one. His remark was, well, they're annoying. And the annoyance of using one uh, would deter people from wanting to use autopilot altogether. So what would you say to that, given the evolution in current state-of-the-art in in DMS systems? Well, it's not even looking at state-of-the-art. You could go back 25 years. There's a paper by uh, Professor Raja Parasuraman where he explores automation complacency and uh, the ways that people misuse, disuse, abuse, and there's a fourth one in there, uh, d- different automated systems. And in it, he explores what can happen in automated systems on airplanes if they bring up alarms too often. People end up ignoring the alarms and or just turning the systems off entirely. But I'd say that if you're driving, if your driver monitoring system is constantly going off and it's reminding you that you need to be paying attention, then the driving task or the way that people are engaging or using the automated system that you have isn't sort of inherently and naturally, uh, isn't inherently and naturally an engaging process. And that's something that you should be focusing on from a human machine interaction point of view in order to keep people's attention on what they're doing, because over time, and regardless of how how immune they think they they are to automation complacency, they're going to get complacent. Even I, I, I know what these are. I know what will happen in these systems over time, and I think over time I'd end up getting complacent if I was put into one of these systems. So I don't think anyone's above it. It's just a part of being a human. And if you're building a machine that is going to be interacted with and run by humans, and especially ones where the human's the safety net, you can't ignore that part of the stack. The human element of that is super important. And you need to manage that and through an active way, through a passive way. It doesn't matter. Go be creative. Be an innovator and come up with something. But that's something you need to address. And if you are using the sort of very closed box sort of thinking, ah, the driver monitoring system that we've tried is really annoying because it beeps a lot. Well, use a different one. Try a different method. You need to pay attention to this uh, automation complacency that will happen over time. That's a scientific fact. How are you as an engineer going to account for it? That's what I'd say. It's funny because if you look at, uh, you know, Attempts from George Hotz, and I know you're familiar with George Hotz. Have you seen his yep. latest video of the Comma Three? Yes, I saw. I watched the Comic Con. So if you um, if you go back to the history of Hotz, the Comma One, I, I remember using. In fact, he even 
I was shocked. He even quotes me in his comma three launch video. Um, his the comma one. I guess I don't know what year was that. Twenty eighteen. A while ago now. Yeah, I think earlier. I think it was like 2017. Combo one, in my opinion, I I didn't have a lot of testing of it, but I had a few hours of it, was better, I thought, performance-wise than Tesla Autopilot. Um, But he he went through several iterations of of HMI that I never saw anyone else try. He had, I I don't know if he called it a confidence meter, but there was a, a meter which seemed to show, it's gone now, but it seemed to show the system confidence in lane keeping and whether or not it was likely to disengage soon. <laughs> that went away. I, I don't know if he could solve how much uh, the, the measurement of itself and then displaying that measurement in such a way that the user could, could use that information in a, in a useful, in a, uh, an effective manner. Um, and then he went to a DMS, which he told me he downloaded the code off of GitHub. And now the comma three has um, twin IR uh, emitters. And so it is incredible to me that for $2,199 that he's incorporating what appears to be a, a superior HMI to seven years or eight years of, of autopilot development coming out of Tesla. And the Tesla fans um, frequently say things like this. Well, why should Tesla develop a DMS? They don't have time. They're too busy. They don't have the bandwidth or resources to develop DMS, to which I would say they're the most valuable automaker in the history of humankind. <laughs> Surely there is someone there with the time and bandwidth to think about this. Well, that's, um, that's not as annoying as the conversations I used to have with um, Tesla comms when I would write an article citing that Tesla autopilot or Teslas do not have a a driver monitoring system. And then I would immediately get an email or a phone call saying in fact that they do. And then the argument would usually it'd be all about why a steering wheel torque system is not a DMS, but that was their fallback, right? That, that was, that was the argument that they relied upon up until, you know, I guess, a little bit more recently, but that that was the yep. go-to and that that was the strategy, uh, particularly with regulators too. That this, that this was enough. So what do we know or what do, what, what do we know for fact uh, versus speculation about the camera DMS that has been spoken of by Elon and some other like, fan accounts? Because I'm not entirely clear on which cars in which it works and what it actually does. Yeah, that that information isn't out there sort of in one solid place that I could find. I was able to find quite a few YouTube videos of people testing it. So there's there's some really useful YouTube videos out there where people take their Teslas through the ropes. Uh, In dubious circumstances too, sometimes they say this is on a private track, like at the bottom of the screen, but you could tell it's uh, either you've got a really large budget for additional drivers, uh, which I don't think you do with 12,000 subscribers, or uh, you're taking some license there. But there was one where they took the cabin, sort of the DMS from Tesla, and they tested things out, like looking down at a phone, uh, wearing sunglasses, uh, covering it completely. Um, and it's, they found that when p- 
people are like looking down at their phone, it would beep at them. If they're obviously not looking ahead, it would end up beeping at them. But they can also cover the camera completely and that would have no impact at all about whether the autopilot system can work or not. And the reason for that is because uh, all the cabin systems, with the exception of the um, of the uh, is it the Model S Plaid, uh, that's the only one that has a infrared emitters in them. Wait, wait, Everything wait, wait, else wait, wait, doesn't. Stop right, stop right there. Which one sure. has infrared emitters? The Model S Plaid. The Model S Plaid, really? Interesting. Yes, I didn't it's know got, that. It's got two infrared emitters on there, um, but you need to pay like an additional $50,000 to get those two IR LEDs. Whoa. Which is <laughs> so let me understand something. Has any, where, where are those emitters located? Uh, they are sort of, they're up sort of either side of the cabin camera. So there's like two of them. They're behind the, the sort of plastic. So you don't see them. But if you look at them through a camera, you'll be able to see them emit. So this is very interesting to me because you have... And I don't know if I've ever seen this articulated anywhere. And Ed and Kirsten, please correct me because maybe I've missed one of your columns. If one wanted to, let's suppose that at some point, uh, Tesla FSD, whatever it's going to be, because we really don't know what it means. Let's suppose that a, an, an operational design domain is declared. It's good weather. Um, highways, and you can, and you're insured with Tesla, and it will work there. In order to make the transition from human operation to level four, whether they want to call it that or not, FSD operation, there must be a transitional phase. And it, from human to, to autonomy is not that difficult. You just turn it on, assuming that you have some indication that you're inside the ODD. But the transition out requires mm -hmm. perception, <laughs> measurement, yep. uh, and confirmation that the driver is capable of taking over. And I have yet to see any real public discussion of what such a transition management system would look like. I've seen companies build subcomponents of it. So Tesla, it would seem, has several generations of vehicles. They have vehicles that have no camera. They have vehicles with camera. Yep. And vehicles with camera mm -hmm. and infrared, which means mm -hmm. that even if they could declare a level four operational design domain for FSD anywhere, that different vehicles would have different <laughs> limitations regarding their ability to deploy it. For your IR, your IR enabled DMS plaid, Model S plaid could, even at night, measure the driver's ability, cognition, and state an ability to take over. Whereas the same vehicle, or, or a Model 3, or no, a, an old Model X with no camera would be unable to make that measurement and therefore would have to pull over and stop at the ODD boundary in order for the driver to confirm that they're ready to take over and enter the ODD. And so Tesla yeah. has to now manage for users who pay $10,000, I'm speculating, they would have to, they, it seems like they have to manage two or three different software R&D paths um, with different expectations where all users will have the same expectations, but all <laughs> users are going to have three sets of experiences. And this might be suboptimal. Would anyone like to speculate well, with me? 
You mentioned level three and level four there um, and the importance of detecting that a user's there. I think that the needs for sort of more microscopic readings on the user are much, they're significantly less for level four and level three. Um, level two is the danger zone. Mm -hmm. That's the one where you need to make sure the driver is awake, looking at the road as is engaged in the driving task. For level three, you just need to ensure that their butt's on the seat and that they're awake, which uh, a camera, a pretty simple camera system with a classifier will be able to do. Level four, you don't even need a driver there. There should be a sort of fallback uh, sort of safety mode for the vehicle to sort of disengage and stop. One would hope, doctor. Well, by definition, that's what a level four system is. Otherwise, it's not a level four system. So, uh, so that's, I mean, that's that's where I think it is. It's the the real problem is that the need for an advanced driver monitoring system is exists in level two and Tesla and Elon specifically doesn't see himself as a level two company. He sees himself as a temporarily embarrassed level five company. Right. So right. the, the, any sort of, any sort of engineering efforts being put into making the driver monitoring system more robust is a waste of time because you're only going to need to do that if you plan to be a level two system. You know, it's interesting, but you, you you said something that is interesting. You said that um, it's that measurements in a level two system is fairly simple. All you have to do is have a camera and you can measure. But uh, we have had no, many measurements guests, in level level three and level four is more is simple. It, right. Level two is a bit is, is a bit harder. Okay. So in level two, and this is a this is I think the next this is the future debate um, inside the level two or ADAS uh, narrative is going to be over the differences between camera-enabled DMSs. Because it's quite obvious from having many guests on this show that um, just because you have a camera on, on a driver, you, it doesn't mean you're measuring A as well. And, e, and then you're, that, whether or not you're measuring the same thing. And whatever you're measuring, assuming you can measure it with any degree of accuracy, what is the system output based on that measurement because two two systems could measure a driver's pose you know uh, uh gaze and the designers of the system could make different decisions on what the system should do one could say let us slow the car down and the other could say we should stop the car and a third might say we should stop the car in x place and i feel like that is like the third dimension to this debate and i haven't heard much discussion of that either Anyone care to speculate? Well, you were going on for so long, Alex. I just wanted to let you just ride the wave that you're on. That's why I'm so here. That's why I'm today. here. <laughs> I feel like we want to hear from Ed because, you know, one thing that struck me was in the very, very beginning when Mahmoud was talking about what led to the video and how it became this thing, it kind of reminded me of Ed's journey of writing a book. And I'm wondering if the same thing kind of happened. Um, but, but Ed, what do you think about what Alex was just saying. I mean, yeah, like the, I mean, to me, it, it, it sort of goes back to what Mahmoud was saying about this thing starting with, you know, a pretty basic idea and just sort of snowballing into this problem because, or this, this, this big, you know, problem that you then have to address sort of in its entirety, because, you know, any one piece of this whole situation, you can zoom into almost infinitely and get into infinite scenarios and what ifs and if this happens then what and right and and so like there's there's just 
endless depth to each piece of this, but then there's also so many freaking pieces, right? And and like we yeah. haven't even mentioned, right? So so not only is the the driver monitoring insufficient, uh, you know, there's the the issue of ODD limits, right? And the fact that you're allowing yeah. people to to operate this vehicle even in or the the system even in in areas where it's not allowed, uh, where that it's not designed to operate in safely, uh, and then you have you know the autonomous washing piece of it where now. Not only do you not have safety nets, but you have the company actively, you know, well, at least at the very best, unconsciously encouraging people to to use a system unsafely. Um, and each piece of this, like, great, you can endlessly go into. I guess, Mamoon, my, my question for you is, you know, how, how do you know, where, like, where to stop, right? You're, you're, you're trying to get this this issue in front of a lot of people. And, and if I yeah. seem like... You know, I, I feel your pain because you know education around these 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 topics is really hard, and I'm anxious to you know learn from you. And and so, like, how do you how do you manage to get this down into just an hour? Like, what were some <laughs> yeah. of the things maybe that you where you decided like, okay, like this is just too far, um, and, and mm-hmm. it's just not going to add to it. Doctor Ed needs an editor. You might be a great one. <laughs> um, it I. I feel after going through these three months of research and producing this, that we share a bit of a bond now that (laughs) like you started to make so much more sense to me after I'd been through it. I, I even, I like, I, I I know the reputation that you have sometimes like it's, it's quite short with people. He'll like, uh, like he'll, yell at people if they talk about tesla there's something that he obviously knows that they don't and like never I get never it. <laughs> is this but this like, is my re- okay no i'm learning so much here <laughs> like, so like i i read your book as well as part of the as part of my research and everything but it's like so it's it's so tough to not become that like it's it's like I found myself, I only spent three months. You spent three years, so you spent twelve times. As, like you, you spent you spent quite quite a lot more than I did. Um, I found myself getting quite down. My mental health started to take a toll. Um, I was feeling sense a sense of despair as I found out more unsettling facts and seeing the sort of impact and the true cost of decisions that were being made by Elon and Tesla that didn't need to be made which have led to people's death and there was no one around i could speak to about that like like how do you how do you condense a like a seven hour google sort of deep dive into something and the emotional feeling and state that you have at the end of it to your partner who's just woken up and you've been working throughout the entire night saying I, I, I'm feeling so sad because I've learned about Tesla, like Elon's needless, need, uh, needless, like emission of a DMS in the, in the vehicle. And so like, I, I think, I think that that's the default set. And I reached out to you as well. If uh, the, I, I sent a message to, to Ed while I was in the early stages of my research, I think summarized with like, how do I keep my faith in humans? Yes. Yeah. That was basically <laughs> it. Well, doctor, have you received death threats? Uh, not yet. Uh, it's actually been, it's actually been really cordial. Um, 
most of the time. There've been some, I mean, there's stuff, people calling me stupid or I don't know what I'm talking about or um, saying that I need to be making something rather than just criticizing what other people make uh, from a nameless <laughs> YouTube account who doesn't make videos criticizing my YouTube videos. So that's that's pretty interesting, but it's 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 been mostly fine. Has anyone that actually the 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 big the only comment I've had to remove on my on my YouTube channel, like from the responses, has been one person responding to Liza Liza Dixon's comment, um, just saying like I really like this video, and then they started calling her like they started like name calling and, and going into that. The only comment I've had to remove. Everything else is is up there, hasn't been removed. I think that that's a pretty good commentary on sort of the experience of women going around on the internet, <laughs> that I made an anti-Tesla video, didn't receive a single death threat. Liza made <laughs> one comment and, and got the only comment of abuse on the video. Well, well, don't you know women aren't supposed to be talking or commenting about anything related to technology or cars? So <laughs> Yeah, well, yeah, yeah, you're lucky. Liza should you just drive. know better. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yeah. So let me, know, uh, go on, Kirsten. I apologize. Okay, well, I just wanted to note one one other thing that oftentimes it it's the underlying foundation, but I think it's a little bit lost. And I brought it up a few times. Is that all of this also is you know when you talk about what is driving this and and why are these decisions being made and you know I always am like waving my hands as the business reporter, like financial reasons, because the faster they can push out um, these upgrades um, to the public to basically be guinea pigs, the faster they can recognize the revenue that they've been, you know, charging people. And, And that I think is, needs to be really, people need to understand and think that that is that is a huge motivating factor, right? And and I do think that it's sometimes lost and it gets all about like, no, he just wants to like, there's this vision and he's like a tech genius and wants to bring this like the future to us. And it's like, well, also there's like million, tens of millions of dollars at stake as well. So let's just remember that piece. It, that's it's that's a tough one because the financial i guess the financial motivations aren't something usually spoken about publicly so it's something that i like when i was making my video I, there were some times in there where i was i'm like this one thing here looks like it's been financially motivated but because elon hasn't been on record saying the reason i did this is because i was financially motivated i couldn't in good conscience, put that into my video. Uh, that would be sure, speculation of course. On my part. Yeah, yeah. All, all I the, can do is report remain- on what he was saying. Yeah, but the fact remains is that like the the more progress that they show on FSD, the more they can recognize that revenue on the balance sheet. That is just fact. Mm-hmm. So we could debate all day long. Like, is it motivated by money? Maybe it is. Maybe it's not. But the fact remains that that they can recognize revenue on their balance sheet when quote unquote full self-driving reaches its full capability. Um, that is reflected in the earnings reports. Yeah. I mean, uh, I have a question kind of related to the the feedback that you got, because I'm still processing the fact that you haven't had even one death threat. Like I, my brain doesn't, doesn't know what to do with this information, but I'm curious, like, 
because it's it's been a weird thing for me to write a book about Tesla and to just be like and and you know what you say about sort of the the how you come across to your loved ones when you're in the depths of yeah. these these <laughs> topics. It's it, it's a topic that makes people crazy. And actually, I've I've know people who have had like actual mental health crises because they got so mm-hmm. sucked into this issue. So it is definitely a a, a real thing. Like. Yeah. But but to come out of, of of writing a book about this this company that's very critical, and then to be going into you know automated vehicle education, it it was strange because like the the object lesson right this is a very young field right there's there's not a lot of like there's not years of history to draw on to to help teach people things, but like it seems like all of the most important lessons that we have in driving automation all come from Tesla. It's like it's like Tesla has made all, all, you know, or at least a lot of the the really big like mistakes. Don't do it. Don't autonomous wash. Right. Put in driver monitoring. You know, you, you know, use ODD uh, limits. You know, all of these things. Is that a good thing or a bad thing? Is it is it good that like we have this one company that we can use that's also very popular? So it's a good way. You know, you can get people's attention by talking about this company. Um, and you can you can by just looking at this one company teach all of these different concepts or is it a bad thing because it's Tesla and like whatever you say critical of them, it doesn't matter how well evidenced or, or whatever, you're going to have people say, oh, you're just doing this because you hate Tesla. It becomes about Tesla and not about the the lessons, which is really the important part. What is your, what is your thought on that? Um, the, that's, that sort of answers the question of why scope was super important to me here. Uh, because... If you sort of go, okay, let me teach someone about everything to do with Tesla, I think you have the potential to sort of end up with this, like, let me go into all the bad stuff that they've done. They've certainly done good stuff as well, but I think that, I mean, 2015 onward, something changed there. And it's, it, in my opinion, it was a company that started to do more bad than good by that point. Um, but it's, a, it's something that you could get easily lost in. What I wanted to do um, especially with, with with my video, was to say, let's limit the scope. And this is what, what I had to do in grade school quite a bit. It's like, what question am I trying to answer here? Um, and the question that I was trying to answer is, is autonomous washing. Like, I want to teach people about autonomous washing. That was, that was the thing. And Tesla was the best example of that. And yes, it turned into a whole video about Tesla because they're a fantastic case study and like why you need a driving monitoring system and why autonomous washing is bad. Uh, so that's that's why I did that there. It's but like narratively speaking, you, you need that sort of emotional journey to take someone on. And it's something really hard to do when you've been sort of neck deep and absolutely buried by all these facts and despair and this months or years long journey in your case of, of like fact finding and building everything together. It's like, how do I put this together in a way that is a simple story that connects emotionally with people so that even the ones that don't care about facts end up taking something away with it? And the shortest length of time I could do that in was 53 and a half minutes. I could not get it shorter than that. And it took me 43 minutes in that video before I could get emotional. Before that, it was all sort of like, 
at presenting facts, showing interviews, making some jokes to just keep people's attention, um, like keeping it lighthearted and sort of goading people in. But it wasn't till like three quarters of an hour of just Tesla backgrounded facts and science and all of that until I had earned it from the perspective of the audience to start calling out the company directly. And, and I mean, if you're on Twitter and you're trying to do that, I had, it took me 43 minutes to do that. I don't think you could do that in a single tweet. So I think it's sort of like a, a, it's a, it's a errand that sort of failed before it started. It's like, how do I bring people on this journey in such a small amount of like in such a small medium? I don't have the answer for you, Ed, I'm sorry. Uh, but, but, uh, but that's the, I think that's, as an outsider looking at looking at you and, and sort of studying how you've you've been a little bit, I think you run into people um, reading the things that you put out who feel that you haven't earned in their eyes, narratively speaking, through the journey that they're on and where they're at in that in that sort of scale, um, to say the critical things that you do. I, I I think I agree with a lot of the critical things that you say, but I can see how someone who is absolutely 100% pro Tesla has a Tesla tattoo on their bicep um, will feel going into that. And what I, what I hope I did with my video was I tried to engage with people like that by saying, look, I'm, I like Tesla and what they do. I want to be on your side. Here's the things that are stopping me from doing that. As opposed to uh, Tesla's a terrible company. They're doing all these things wrong. Um, and here's the list of them. Um, pick one, and I could talk to you about it. it it's like I, I think that emotional connection is really important, and you could do that really powerfully through the medium of video. Um, and yeah, that's that, that's I guess my motivation for for the for the video. What do you think, Doctor? <laughs> um, what do you think the autonomous vehicle industry should do next in terms of education? How can they it counter the large scale misinformation that's out there. They need to find a way of connecting with people in a not so corporate way. Like seeing seeing press releases coming out of companies and 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 that sort of thing is like it's like the last all that convinces is a press release is going to convince the fans that you're doing things great. And it's going to be picked apart by the people that don't believe in what your company's doing. And there's so much misinformation out there and disinformation out there from sort of these, I guess, marketing departments getting into engineering terminology. Yeah, here's a thing. Like, this is something that I'm going to make a video about at some point. Um, the standard, SAEJ3016, the one that's uh, like from the Society of Automotive Engineers that lists the levels from level zero to level five. SAE have had to release that for free because they want people to be educated about these levels. And there's a there's like a whole like two pages in that standard that I've never seen in any other standard before. And it's here's a list of words that we are purposefully avoiding in these standards because it's been marred by public opinion. Things like self-driving, full self-driving, autonomous vehicle, robo-taxi, driverless. All of those words aren't used and they list the reasons why. And to me, this is like a, it's like a symptom of uh, marketing departments uh, talking about 
engineering terminology without taking the time to fully to fully understand everything there. But I don't think it just goes one way. I'm not going to sit here and and sort of uh, <laughs> barrage have a barrage against a market as a journalist. I think that there's a bit of there's been a failure from the side of engineers and technical people of making that world accessible. I don't think that there's enough engineers and technically minded people who are capable of speaking to people outside their own sort of backgrounds or circles. And that is really dangerous because these people, these groups, these engineers are solving problems and creating systems that are going to impact the lives of people, regardless of whether or not they understand the things that they're doing. Um, and policymakers and strategy, people up in government, all of them are going to make decisions about the industry, whether or not they understand what's technically happening or not. And I've been in rooms and I've seen a lot of nodding heads before, and that doesn't always mean that people understand what it is that's, that's happening there. So it's it's like, I'm I, I feel like I've sort of, I want to join this like army of STEAM people, like science, technology, engineering, arts, and arts and maths. Um, like these STEAM people who are trying to sort of use creativity and other forms of engagement, um, bringing these technical ideas and notions to people that don't have PhDs, that don't spend every single day learning about and reading about the technology. Um, I some of the criticisms I get is like, why are you using uh, clickbait? Why did you make a video? Why did you, uh, why are you making jokes while you're talking about this stuff? You should be making a, a serious video. Um, great. I'm not a serious person when I'm talking personally and I want to make an authentic connection. I'm going to be making jokes. So that's the sort of content that I'm going to create. If you want to make the serious content, there's going to be an audience for that. Go and do that. But we also need things like we need things like TikTok. Like we need people making TikTok content that is palatable to like teenagers and young adults and, and kids that explains these technical concepts. And I've seen this like real sort of, I guess, looking down, especially by people who write articles. They sort of write an article and say, well, I covered what you said in this video in my article and I did it much more factually without putting in jokes. Great you'll reach all the article reading people. That's not who I'm trying to target. I'm targeting all the people that sit at home on YouTube and like want something to watch while they're eating dinner. And hopefully they'll learn about autonomous washing and the need for a functional DMS because they're not going to look up an article about that. And that's the bridge that I want to get. We need as many people as possible saying the same thing with different voices because that's how we're going to end up uh, making making the biggest impact. And uh, Corporate sort of corporate messaging and press releases, that's going to like speak to a certain group of people. That's going to speak to a certain slice of the population, but it's not going to speak to everyone. You can't just rely on that. You need to find different ways of doing that. And I I don't have a list for you, Alex. I'm sorry. There's probably all these mediums and ways that people talk that I'm not familiar with. And so I'm not the person that should be making that content, but we just need... We just need lots of people saying things of the ways that they understand it and the way that they speak to their people. Um, and I think that's the, it's important for companies to find 
ways of enabling people to do that. And I don't know the best way to do that. I don't have the answers, but if if you're looking for my advice, like for like a big company and what they're trying to do, don't try to make the content yourself. Try to find or bring people in with a different audience to the sort of people that you usually connect with. Break outside of your own circles uh, and try to take other people or bring other people into that uh, into that space. I think just to build on on what you were saying there, I think you, I agree completely with everything that you said, but uh, I, I think that the need for experimentation is really is is the key and and experimentation particularly in form um, and that and form meaning everything from like the medium, but also like how big of chunks do you try and give stuff to people in? Do you try and give them lots of little like, you know, standalone, yeah. you know, all kinds of experimentation because the reality is, is that nobody has any clue what the right way to do this is. And, and the reality is, I mean, look at, look at it at, at what sort of crystallized this, this video for you. It was Liza Dixon coining a word, a ton of washing. And, you know, and she wrote a, she wrote a paper. It was, you know, there, there's all this other stuff around it, but, but, you know, sometimes that's it. It's, it's, we need a word for something. And that was not like at the top of anyone's to-do list. It was something that just kind of happened because conversations were happening. Ideas were bubbling. And Liza like was, you know, she's brilliant and she was in the right place at the right time. And it just, and, and look at the difference it made. Right. It's a, it's, and it's a great paper, but uh, the people, the, the segment of the population who reads papers is so small. Like we're a very tiny percentage of, of, of the human population. How do you find ways of getting the information out of that paper to people who don't read papers? Um, so, so what, what's next for you? I mean, you, you, you watch, you made this the amazing video. Um, by the way, how many, t- tell us how many views it has. And, and then just tell us like, What's next? Uh, I think it's now between eight and a half to nine thousand uh, views. I've, I've got a very humble YouTube channel. I don't. <laughs> I, I don't have a thousand subscribers yet. I've still not even monetized. But um, it's it, the response has been really cool. This has been way more than what other videos that I've made in the past. The next, the next video that I'm doing, hopefully I'll release it um, in the next week. Is um, is going to be something not at all to do with autonomous vehicles. I'm. <laughs> I've it's I work on these sort of silly projects in my spare time and I built this AI that's able to detect um when someone utters a that's what she said sentence. So <laughs> I wanted to I want I, I want to build sort of like a, a computer version of Michael Scott that's able to say from the office, that's able to say that's what she said whenever I've said sort of uh, right, making that video that, that was really hard. Um, <laughs> I want him to, I want him to pop in. But after that, uh, sort of the next steps, um, I want to make this series of sort of bite-sized content on on my channel where I explore uh, SAEJ thirty sixteen in a very sort of uh, more microscopic way, bite-sized way, where I have like a single video on, say, what is an ODD, what is a DDT. Uh, what is level zero, one, two, all of those things. What are the what are the no-no words in SAEJ3016? Um, I want to have sort of bite-sized content that can be looked at out of context. So no narratives in these that can be used as sort of tools when people are discussing autonomous, autonomous vehicle technology uh, and they find that maybe you're talking to someone on Twitter and they don't know what an ODD is, you can link them a video that's 
a minute, two minutes long that takes them through the basics. And by the end of it, they know what an ODD is and your conversation can continue rather than you having to go through the same explanation 20 times a day, every day of the week. Uh, or, or in my case, just being a jerk to them, right? <laughs> <laughs> it, well, it's, hard, it's hard not to be over time, but it, it's easy to forget that every one of these people that you speak to, yes, they might not have faces on their on their uh, profile pictures. These are humans sitting behind the keyboard on the other side. They're not always nice people, but I, I don't know. I, I try to give them the benefit of the doubt, even though that's really hard to do sometimes. Yeah. Sometimes I wonder. Um, also, I just, I wanted to ask you, I mean, because I, you know, this kind of content that you, you've made here and, and, and the stuff that you have planned, I mean, this is the kind of stuff that I've been like, why isn't it out there? And, and I don't have a background in video and stuff. So I've been waiting for this kind of stuff. And, and I really hope that um, there are people listening to this or, or people get exposed to, to your work and are inspired to, to do the same. And I guess I'd, I'd want to know what would you tell people who, who watch your video and, 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 you know, are intrigued by the topic and, and want to, want to make content like, like you've made, what, what kind of advice would you give them? Uh, just start and be totally okay with it being bad and you receiving <laughs> zero attention from it. That's totally fine. It's a great place to start. It's going to suck. You're going to be terrible at it because it's the first time you're doing it, but you'll be doing it. And each time you do it, you do it again. It'll be better and better and better as time goes on you'll get more used to it and it's going to be, yeah, it'll be great if you just keep it up. That's, that's incredible advice. Uh, it's definitely how I started writing about the auto industry. I <laughs> Me too. And, and I'll say, I'll say if you're learning something and you're sharing, you know, you're learning as you're learning it, like people aren't just getting the information that way. They're, they're, they're getting the benefit of your process mm-hmm. and it makes for really good content. And so actually being an idiot and muddling your way through things oftentimes is incredible for, for making content. So uh, I think that's incredible advice. Yeah, sometimes the sort of the failing journey is part of that narrative that you need to hack people on. And that's that's totally fine. Totally. And uh, Doctor, if we want to uh, check out your channel, what is it called? Uh, it's uh, uh, You can search my name, Mahmoud Hikmet. It should be on this uh, in the description here somewhere. Or you can go to youtube.com slash sadmoody. Um, what? That's been my nickname since... <laughs> I, since I was 11, I chose it when I was 11. I haven't changed it, Alex. Leave me alone, okay? It's, it's just what it is. I was I was an 11-year-old wanting to play a game, wanting to play Hearts with Strangers on the MSN Gaming Zone. The name Moody, my nickname, was taken. Uh, I put in Moody as my username, and Sad Moody was the only one that was put out by Microsoft that didn't have numbers at the end of it. I chose it. It's been stuck with me for 20 years, and... Yeah, leave me alone. Okay. <laughs> well done. Well, well you're at so- it. Uh, follow Mahmood on Twitter. It's at Moody Hikmet, right? Yep, that's right. Yeah. Can you spell that, please? For M- who M-O-O-D-Y-H-I-K-M-E-T. Yep. Great. Well, um, Mahmood, thank you so much for, for making the content that you made and, and for taking the time to come and uh, chat with us about it today. No, oh, thanks so much for having me. Um, yeah, cheers. And thank you to our audience once again for listening to another episode of the Atomicast. <laughs>